beyond dungeons and dialectics. There is, in fact, a tabletop RPG and has a critique of late-stage capitalism. The first mission we did was to go to a derelict spacecraft. I'm talking about Mothership. The famous Heidegger lecture series, The Question Concerning Technology. Slowly, all these other things are being stripped away such that everything becomes about what's useful for us. In Mothership, in the second adventure, and this is um, Ypsilon 14. It's, is it Upsilon? Or Upsilon 14, if you're... Well, it's... So this is the thing in... There's there's Epsilon and Upsilon. Like Greek, Greek, you would pronounce it Upsilon, but Epsilon is the E, Upsilon. and Upsilon is the, like, Y. Right, it's like Y and E. Yeah. U shape. And so it's... Here it's spelled with a Y, I so see. I say Ypsilon, even though in my classical Greek training, Upsilon. I would say Upsilon. Very intelligent, Joe. Yes. So they, they had a choice of missions, and they decided to go to an asteroid where there was, like, some mysterious, like, maybe fungal goo thing. And the science team stayed with the goo, analyzing it. And then Mac, who's playing another Marine. Yeah, Cody, Cody's Cody, unhinged, though. So Cody went back. <laughs> he's just a, he's a newbie. And he just freaks out over everything. It's great. And so he went back to, like, go check on the rest of the people at this asteroid base and was attacked by some giant invisible monster. At the same time, the science crew discovered this weird fungal goo turns your cells translucent and causes people to have an aversion to water. So they were like uncovering all this stuff and realized, oh, translucent. Oh, there's a giant monster on this base. And just as they discovered that, we cut to Cody and Cody was attacked by the monster. And so the I liked doing this because the players then had a bit of background knowledge. They were like, you know, it was sort of fulfilling the promise. I was like, there's a monster on the ship and you guys know it. And then we switched to Cody who doesn't know it, but the players, including Mac knew this. And so when the monster appeared, it was like, it was that satisfaction of the expectation that, ah, yes, we knew a monster was coming, but it's maybe more interesting that this happens to the character who didn't know about it. Um, And he managed to beat the monster, get it away and everybody got on the ship and flew off and problem solved. That's right. I barely played that one, though, because I was in a different... I was like... Yeah. I came late, and I was on the road, so I checked in like on my laptop, and it was... I don't know, but I still participated, which is really what matters. So what did you think of the second session, Matt? Well, like I said, I was only part of it for about like fucking an hour, but there were more people that mm-hmm. time, so I must admit, this is more of a meta meta level question. I, 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 I felt like the role-playing mm-hmm. was inhibited because so many people were trying to get a word in, you know? Mm-hmm. Like Nina and yeah. Broughton joined us that time in addition to everyone who played the first time. So it was Michael, mm-hmm. me, Max, Mac. But I like stories about alien infections, you know, the thing-esque, like you don't know who who has uh-huh. like touched the sample or not, mm-hmm. who might be, you know, compromised. So I thought it was an interesting setting. I felt like th- I liked the first one better, I think, because it was more mysterious, but I did enjoy the second mm-hmm. one. I also kind of enjoyed the first one more. I think the second one, I thought the second one, like the the story is interesting and like this mystery that, that people were trying to solve was kind of interesting. But as I look on like how I played this as yeah. a game master or oh, they're called warden? wardens okay. is the official term. I'm a warden. Is that one, there was no reason, no motivation to have to go deeper into yes, the mind. I noticed on that this we didn't do that, did we? No. And why would you? Like there was no reason to. Well, was there no like special equipment hidden down there? Well, that was the thing, is like there's there's stuff in the mines, like that you could have found and would Lore, reveal more right. of the 
the mystery. But you're playing characters and your character's like, I don't fucking care about the mystery. I don't want to die. Yeah, we were trying to, we had a we had a goal. Yeah, and if you're role playing, not as you, the player, mm-hmm. and maybe like a specific character would do it, but yeah. the characters we were playing were not motivated to do it. So Yeah, that would have created more tension because then there's like, oh, do I go deeper into the danger for this motivation or do I hold back to like save my life and risk not accomplishing this goal or whatever. So I think I would adjust the module a bit to give more motivation to go deeper in. And two, I think that I let, I let the scientists go learn everything that they needed to know way too fast. And I did this because I had in my mind, oh, what a cool narrative moment it will be to have the scientists learn the answer and then right. Cody get attacked when it would have been, I think, more interesting as a larger game. I think that moment was really cool, but I think as a larger game, it would have worked better if the science actually took longer. And I think per the rules, that's how it's supposed to take a lot longer to do this sort of thing. And then you have the tension of, oh, what if there's scientific equipment that they need for this that's only available on the asteroid? And well, do you leave without understanding what it was that attacked him? It was invisible. What if it's already on your ship? What if this? What if that? Well, it's like you're like, uh, do we need to understand this? Do you remember you're uh, you're you're working on that? Uh, it's like a one shot where you're in a panopticon. You remember that? Yeah. It's like that, except if the monster was real. Exactly. Spoiler alert for our first uh, adventure that we're going to publish is we're working on something based on the panopticon. If you remember our episode on Christian Christian atheism, I think, and about Michel Foucault, he has this idea of the panopticon that with the panopticon, it doesn't actually matter if there's a guard there. If you think there's a guard there, you'll self-monitor. Right. And so the twist of the adventure is you're escaping a prison is patrolled by an invisible stalker. So in theory, they could be anywhere. And the twist of the adventure is there is no invisible stalker. Surpr- and like there are hints as you reach the well, end of the adventure. Surprise, yeah. surprise. Well, if you know anything about like Foucault, then you, it will be... It'll be not much of a twist, I suppose. So, yeah. But there are they're like little hints as you get near the end and it's supposed to make people think and teach philosophy. Yeah. Coming soon. Coming soon. So all this all this said, that I, I think there are things that I could have done as a game master. And like part of this is also with the module. I think if the module had given clearer guidelines about what to like motivations for going deeper in and how long things should take to analyze that might have been helpful you know it's also the second time i've run the game and still learning how to how to do it more effectively indeed and i will say the game masters like the warden's handbook that they have for mothership that teaches you how to be a warden really really good it's one of my favorite game master things i've ever read the way it starts it says get a notebook and write down an adventure. And it walks you through like every step. It's like, what are they here to do? Why do they want to do this? What is the threat? What are they going to find out about it? How are they going to learn about it? And then you have an adventure. It's just so well done. And they make very clear that you don't need to focus on like the bigger political economic situation of the world in the first adventure. You eventually get into that later. And that's sort of what we've been doing is we've had like these two isolated adventures. We're going to play again next Monday. I've got another character all lined up who is very interesting. I mean, you can also just play another character. It doesn't matter. I mean, you guys are going to you're going to a base on the gas giant. Anu, I think, is, is the one you're going to. And so you can just switch out characters there. Yeah, well, I'll think about it. Yeah, I'll think about, I'll it. think about it. So Mothership gets a 10 out of 10 from Joe and Matt. Indeed. Two thumbs up, just like with Avatar 2 and Prey. Just like with... Pray. And Avatar 2. No, Avatar 2 does not get a two thumbs up from both it of us. It gets a two thumbs up from me. <laughs> it gets a two thumbs up from you and like one thumb down from me. One so thumb really it down. gets one thumb up. Come on. 
Yes. You're a load of shit. You're so full of shit. It has to get at least one thumb down for being a racist movie. Uh, yeah, well, let's just agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I think that if you're looking for a philosophical angle on Mothership, or at least the lore of the scenarios we engage with, plus our yeah. own added lore... One way of thinking mm-hmm. about it is these scenarios are very in tune with the idea of complete denuding of human life and the reduction of mm-hmm. all beings, not just human, but like, you know, everything to some kind of yeah. use. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, because the the lives of the people that we're playing feel disposable to Vikram Corporation, for sure. Yeah. Not just sure. us, but and also like in the scenario, we went to this ship to recover their technology. It turns out that technology was some yeah. weird shit to do with uh, turning he- like human life, basically. It was its object. It treated human life yeah. as an object that could be taken up and made use of by the corporation, right? Mm-hmm. Second one was about the same kind exactly. of thing, but with like uh, mining and exploration of alien yeah. entities and all this kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Or is it an alien? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. But the, but. Unclear. But actually, that's an interesting point you make because the mechanics, although we've no one's actually died yet, but you can see how they would be, you know, yeah. very punitive in that way. Mm-hmm. They make perspicuous the sense that you are completely disposable. Yeah. And hence, yeah. the truth of your being, if you like, just is as something that can be appropriated for, in this case, for economic purposes. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, and this is also like fascinating because... The advent of new technologies like androids, for example, in the in the mothership world, that doesn't suddenly like the androids don't suddenly replace humans as the things that we are like risking or objectifying or turning into like or viewing as only their utility value. If anything, this the advent of this technology allows us to continue like seeing human beings as as use like human beings become just as much of an object as as an android in these scenarios an android is another thing that you can be like it's not like classes or or it's like, like they're like professions or whatever stresses yeah but, but it's right. like that's your character you are your identity as a being is is directly equivalent yeah. with your profession i.e your use for mm. the corporation such yeah. that there is no distinction between a human and an android really because android yeah is just a profession in the same way that being a uh, soldier yep. is or being a scientist teamster. is or a teamster, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Holy shit. Yeah. Now, well, so I, had, yeah. I mean, there's a world in which this mothership sort of alien sci-fi vision is, is what, what happens. Uh-huh. And as if you're not optimistic, that is maybe the more plausible one. There is another world in which to have a optimistic possibility our experience of artificial intelligence, if we were to arrive at something more like general artificial intelligence, that's more like a you know person, could change our relationship to technology and beings to be more caring toward them. For example, mm. if I could come to see a computer as, or not a computer, but like an AI, whatever, as calling yeah. for my care... It's not clear why I couldn't see other things, not just human beings, but even things as simple as like uh, ordinary household objects or whatever, is calling to be mm-hmm. cared for. And if I could arrive at a way of seeing ordinary things as worthy of care or you know plants, whatever animals, that would be the erasure or end of this problematic and framing. 
because things would mm-hmm. no longer manifest solely as use. They would manifest as, as care, which is in a way the opposite of, of pure use. Yeah, that makes sense. And that is definitely not the the vision that mothership has of the future. And I think intentionally so. I think it's it's meant to be an anti like an, like a kind of vaguely an, anti-capitalist game right. that like yeah, the corporations and like space neoliberalism, that's the real like en- or villain or antagonistic force and then that's made manifest in these different missions that you go on on behalf of some uncaring entity that is like a private corporation that controls most aspects of your life. Right. So yeah, that's not what's in mothership. I was just more uh, trying to leave people with an optimistic note. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So (laughs) fuck that, Matt. I want people to leave our show depressed. Well, I mean, they usually do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I want you to, I want after hearing for after hearing our sorry asses for 40 minutes <laughs> i want after your commute to work i want you to arrive feeling like drained of energy yeah. from having to think so much about like gestell and like all these different languages that we're using in this podcast yeah i mean i don't yeah. know there are, there are there are historical precedents for this i remember i was reading some text about uh, some kind of ritual in japan I doubt this is widely practiced anymore, or even if it ever was widely practiced, mm-hmm. where it would be like, they would not only give thanks to, like, it was like once a year, they would give thanks to certain animals that they had, you know, eaten for their, their sustenance. Okay, that's one way of doing it. Mm-hmm. But more interesting to me, because, I mean, there are, like, that's not uncommon, right? Um, more interesting yeah. to me was something like, there was some kind of equivalent ritual for, like, caring for, like, broken household objects, like chopsticks and stuff that had been destroyed in the year. Mm. And I thought that like that sounds to some like to from a normal perspective like odd, but if you think about it yeah. from this perspective of the domination of beings, that really represents like a, a totally different attitude toward ordinary things and the way that they ma- the way that mm. they matter to us. Yeah. So this is this is a really interesting take because well, for the reason that you just said, but Thank also you. because when I was reading about because I've been doing a little reading a little into like reading. theology and church and artificial intelligence. And there was Buddhist monk or like it was a robot that was performing some religious function. And I believe it was in a Buddhist temple. And that while the studies that they did with like, like people in the quote unquote, like Western Europe and the United States about AI pastors and spiritual guides and, and whatnot, where like people felt uncomfortable about it and they were like, Oh, I don't like this. This is like weird that people in, in this other example, and I'll link it in the show notes because I, um, I don't have my AI notes up with me right now to, to double check this, but that they felt a lot more comfortable with it. And, and one of the people that was interviewed about this was like, well, yeah, like robots in, in the media we consume robots are our friends. And, and there's this very, I think of like a studio Ghibli film (laughs) in a lot of ways that, yeah. There's this kind of beautiful and charming and quirky relationship with like spiritual beings and technology, technological beings that are all sort of like interwoven and exist in, in commingle and that the relationship often is not about right. utility. It's like, no, this robot is my friend and I care about them. Mm-hmm. It's possible to have, it's possible to have a spiritual 
with a small s because I don't want to make a loaded comment, I guess, but to have like an existential, spiritually satisfying relationship with ordinary beings. Yep. And that can include modern forms of technology. Mm. The difficulty with this is yeah. everything about yeah, yeah. the contemporary world strains against this because of its emphasis on use. Like, I feel like I agree that Studio mm-hmm. Ghibli is one of the best exemplars of, of this because when you watch some of their movies, or maybe yeah. all of their movies, I'd have to think about it for a minute. There's not mm-hmm. really like a strong driving plot. Yep. Rather, it's more just about the dwelling of the people in a certain space and their lives with each other and with the ordinary yep. things that they have. And it seems like it's a very, they portray, those movies mm-hmm. portray a very careful world, like a world full of care, not just for one another, although people do care for one another in those movies, but for the animal world, the natural environment, and for the household objects that they make yep. use of. Oh, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And even like, so like Spirited Away is is probably one of the, the better known stories. And like No Face yeah. has this whole scene where he's like yeah. gorging himself on like food and turns into this giant like frog monster, like chases um, people like all over the the bathhouse and he's like it's scary this is a terrifying scene and then he like yeah. calms down and they're like sort of friends and they go on their boat trip together and it's just it, it it's it's a world that's pervaded by per, pervaded yes by so much care yes and just like yes like we care about yeah. each other and even this like crazy like thing that turned into a giant frog monster and try to eat me now now that now that that's over we can be friends and we can care about each other again after you've listened to this listeners you might go watch spirited away because now that i think about it it might be the most relevant film for what we've been talking about because there's this it starts in the regular world which is really a world of technology as we've Mm -hmm. been talking about it the father is kind of this arch like utility guy. Everything's about money or like he can pay for anything. Everything is just about its exchange value. Like, you know, they eat this special sacred food, mm. which they're not supposed to eat. And he says, don't worry about it. I've got credit cards and cash, which implies yep. that all that it's presenting oh. to him as is some way of yes. satisfying himself. And the bathhouse itself is kind of a corrupted place because Yubaba the witch is extremely uh-huh. greedy. And that's why when No-Face gets in there, he becomes this sort of dominating monster. But as they leave and they travel to uh-huh. – this is a shorter scene, but I think it's actually maybe the core of the film. They go to this place called Swamp Bottom, I think, which is where Yubaba the mm-hmm. witch's sister lives. And th- and that's where No-Face ends up staying because it was like spiritually healthy for him to be there. And that place exemplifies the way that you could relate to – to beings or objects or things or whatever in a healthy, careful mm-hmm. way because everything is integrated together, the environment, the goods, like no one's dominating anyone. It's just a place of care, both interpersonally and among objects and, and people and, and what have you. So it's really this movie about the transition from, I think, among other things, like there's other themes mm-hmm. you could draw out of the movie. For me, it's a movie about this transition from like a corrupted, corrupting place where you can lose your name as what happens mm-hmm. to the girl to finding yourself again through relationships of care, like her relationship with Haku the dragon yeah. or her meeting this. Yeah. Baba sister. That's, that's a really great point. I was thinking, I was thinking of Howl's moving castle as one of the, oh, I love that movie as, one, too. as a good example, just because I think there's a bit more like within the setting, there's a bit more interplay between technology and, and magic and spirituality and these yeah. all like coexisting 
and like things like like the fire yeah. calcifer is alive and then the scarecrow is like an object that we care for but then it turns out to be a prince it the like attackers are these like weird monster things that fly planes and shit well they were they were if i recall correctly in the lore of uh-huh. Howl's moving castle they are supposed to be magicians who turn themselves into right. monsters for the sake of the war that the kingdom was fighting or something so it's like this auto-corrupting influence for the sake of mm-hmm. dominating another yeah, or something like that. That's a great point. Uh, yeah. yeah. So all so. this to say, it go watch a Studio Ghibli film because they're fantastic. And two, if you want to yes. play a tabletop RPG that is related to Studio Ghibli or helps you like tell these similar stories, there are there are a couple of options. Right now, you might be seeing on, or I don't know, this for me is coming up right now a lot, but that there's a um, it's like a Studio Ghibli setting coming out of coming out for Fifth Edition, which is yes, is yes, that true? it's true. It's I think it's called um oh very interesting uh, Obojima, yeah Obojima. Uh, do you know how that's spelled? O b o g j i m a. But no, don't don't go it. Don't don't back it. It's dumb. Okay, here's the deal. It's made by a bunch oh. of like like random white people with no consultation of like Asian or Asian American creators. Oh, you mean and, it's like aesthetically based the on aesthetic, Studio Ghibli but stuff. The game of fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons does not lend itself to this kind of like pastoral, uh, peaceful, caring world and game with little to no plot. Right. Well, it's going to be about, Ultimately, it's going to be about some plot exactly. in which you kill that's monsters. What, you know, that's which is what not Studio 5 is about. That's like 90% of the player's handbook is how to kill monsters. Don't back that one. Instead, play Golden Sky Stories, which is which is a cute non-combat tabletop RPG where it's a creative problem-solving in a magical village where you play these mystical animals that can briefly turn human and each have their own like little powers and stuff. And it promotes healing this is from the review on um, on a CBR. It promotes healing slice of life stories. Now, that being said, if Obojima's uh, creators are listening to this and they want to promote the podcast, we will recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. They, they funded their, their Kickstarter at 6,500%. So I think they are. Well, look, doing fine without you, our support it's it's the well no i want their support <laughs> i want them to advertise us yeah. look what, what it, i was t- i was arguing with someone today about whether the influence of like lovecrafty and stuff on mm-hmm. D early D was superficial which is yeah. a problematic argument to get into because what i meant was probably not what the guy meant uh-huh. and what i was trying to get at is look ultimately it's superficial because whatever degree to which these tropes were being taken and put into the stuff, for the most part, they weren't actually interested in engaging with like the themes and ideas and stuff that was animating the, the stories. Really, there was more about just like how can I relive some aspect of these stories and then fight the cool monsters I like. Right. Yeah. So- Same kind of thing with the Studio Ghibli thing. Probably is like, mm-hmm. oh, I like the vibe. How can we like do this but with the vibe? Yeah. You know. I have some agreement with you and some disagreement with you about that particular take just because the nature of the game was very different in the mm-hmm. 70s when this was being integrated. So I, I think Crawling there's through some, a dungeon? Huh? Crawling through a dungeon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was it was a lot higher lethality and a lot of the monsters that were inspired by like Lovecraftian stories did have that sort of 
super powerful cosmic mysterious edge to them but you know i so i don't know if it's 100 percent superficial but i do uh, think that for example call of cthulhu the game does a much better job of representing that because there's a whole mechanic around going crazy you, you have know. your sanity checks and you your characters are much less powerful uh certainly than they are in fifth edition dungeons and dragons so the idea is that you lose call of cthulhu or if you win it's it's often a pyrrhic victory where i think i've told the story on the podcast that the one time I played Call of Cthulhu, Mike ran it. Like, my character survived, barely, and then he came out of the the sewers where they were fighting the the cultists trying to summon this elder evil, and everyone else had turned into a snake person. And I was like, no, I thought I won. I thought we did this. I thought we saved the world. But now you, no, you don't understand. And I started, like, I literally started freaking out, and then I realized, oh, they're not snake people. My character just lost his mind and i feel like i lost my mind so great good on you matt or mike that was one of my favorite tabletop rpg gaming experiences of of all time yeah honestly many of my favorites are from mike but that's a that's a tale for another day that is a tale for another day i think we've done a really good deep dive into uh technology and um and a philosophical analysis of mothership or I, maybe because you you did most of the content for this episode or these two episodes, yes. I'll I'll probably go into how do I think that we can apply this in the game? <laughs> uh, which is what does this teach us about the game? What does this teach us about the game? I think it really helps us understand the themes that Mothership is going for because it really, uh-huh. really, really is, and it tries to hammer this home in the mechanics, in the lore, in the shipbreakers toolkit in the warden's manual or guide or whatever it's called the characters are being instrumentalized as disposable and when you understand that i think it helps you craft stories that fit better into the world that it's that it's representing right you're not trying to do his heroic fantasy like dungeons and dragons you're not even really trying to do cosmic horror call of cthulhu this is the horrors of of like space neoliberalism gone yeah. to like the extreme. And so I think to the extent that uh, you can sort of play up that sort of insidiousness in your in your games, that I think you'll you'll touch on something that's a bit more profound and thematic for people. So like when people board the ghost ship and they learn about like the cryosleep, part of the thing that you're trying to to drive at with that is, oh, this company is like doing a really fucked up thing when we when we go on the the voyage to ypsilon 14 the the players have the characters have escaped so then my job as warden is to think of well the players the characters have escaped what is the company going to think about this and if the company is like concerned about losing their investment and doesn't care about the lives of these human beings and is just trying to instrumentalize them does that then become a conflict when they return to the space station you know like are there are their superiors going to be pissed at them are going to say oh well what about all this equipment that you lost and we're docking your pay for all of this equipment that you lost well that Um, was my uh my idea for a second character was going to be or is going to be whenever i get to get around to it um someone who's uh like essentially a third or fourth generation wage slave who is you know (laughs) kind of like a roughneck who's, who's paying off the debt that his ancestors had accrued and yet there was no feasible way of ever paying it off. So basically everyone 
in the family has to successively continue working in a certain field in order to pay off mm-hmm. the money that they owe. Oh, in quotes. Yeah, I I think I think that would be hilarious and fantastic, yes. and it it gets at the themes of the of the setting, which is right. Yeah, which is humans are exploitable. We are viewing them as technology. We are viewing them within the gestel, this end framing, this horizon. They are coming to being for us as technology, as like yes. things to be used. Yes, very scary stuff. Matt, I, I really enjoyed it. This was so interesting to me. I loved this. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it because I just pulled all that out of my ass. You know, it's all off the cuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. I was really pushing Matt. I was Matt. I was like, Matt, like, he was like, let's do a review of Mothership. And I was like, Matt, there are like 10 reviews on podcasts of Mothership. I've listened to them all. I don't want to do another one. It's going to be so uninteresting. Like, please just Indeed. say something. Pretend. Make up some philosopher. And like, like pretend they said all this shit. Yeah, Bioniclase is one of my favorite Who you heard Bioniclase? Oh, Bioniclase. Yeah, that's what I meant. It's a little joke for those who know. I I don't know, so it's not oh, funny for the me, joke? and it's definitely it's, it's, not funny for the audience. The joke is like the toy line Bionicles. Oh, but like if you were, if it was like a Greek philosopher, his name would be Bioniclase. Bioniclase. All right, so Bioniclase. That was. It's a good little joke. It was a little joke. For those who know. Sure. Um, it's funny. It's funny if you know. If you know, you know. All right. Well, <laughs> on, on that note, you're Matt. And you're Joe. And now, you, you know. know. And if you know, you know. If you know, you know. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do.